Hello guys, welcome to the 8th episode of Gandhiji's autobiography. Here we go. Though I had acquired a nodding acquaintance with Hinduism and other religions of the world, I should have known that it would not be enough to save me in my trials. Of the things that sustain him through trials, Man has no inkling, much less knowledge at the time. If an unbeliever, if an unbeliever, he will attribute his safety to chance. If a believer, he will say God saved him. He will conclude, as well he may, that his religion, his religious study or spiritual discipline was at the back of the state of grace within him. But in the hour of his deliverance, he does not know whether his spiritual discipline or something else saves him. Who that has prided himself on his spiritual strength, has he not seen it humbled to the dust? A knowledge of religion, as distinguished from experience, seems but chef chef in such moments of trial it was in england that i first discovered the futility of mere religious knowledge how was how i was saved on previous occasions is more than i can say for i was very young then but now i was 20 and had gained some experience as a husband and father. During the last year, as far as I can remember of my stay in England, that is in 1890, there was a vegetarian conference at Portsmouth, to which an Indian friend and I were invited. Portsmouth is a seaport with a large naval population. It has many houses with women of ill fame, women not actually prostitutes, but at the same time not very scrupulous about their morals. We were put up in one of these houses. Needless to see to say, the reception committee did not know anything about it. It would have been difficult in a town like Portsmouth to find out which were good lodgings and which were bored, bad for occasional travellers like us. We returned from the conference in the evening. After dinner, after dinner, we sat down to play a rubber of bridge, in which our landlady joined. As in customary, as is customary in England, even in respectable households, every player indulges in innocent jokes as a matter of course but here my companion and our hostess began to make indecent ones as well i did not know that my friend was adept adept in the art it captured me and i joined in i also joined in but when i was about to go beyond the limit leaving the cards and game to themselves god thought the good companion uttered the blessing blessed warning whence this devil in you my boy 
be off quick i was ashamed i took the warning and expressed within myself gratefulness to my friend remembering the vow i had taken b- b- before my mother i fled from the scene to my room i went quaking trembling and vi- with beating heart like a quarry escaped from its pursuer i recall this as the first occasion on which a, wo- a woman other than my wife moved me to lust i passed that night sleeplessly all ki- kinds of thoughts assailed me shall i leave this house should i run away from this place where was i what would happen to me if i had not not wits about me i decided to act thenceforth and with great caution not to leave the house but somehow leave portsmouth the conference was not to go on for more than two days and i remember i left portsmouth the next evening my companion saying my companion staying some time longer i did not then know the essence of religion or of god and how he works in us only vaguely i understood that god had saved me on that occasion on all occasions of trial he has saved me i know that phrase god saved me has a deeper meaning for me today and i and still i still feel that i have not yet grasped its entire meaning only richer experience can help me to a fuller understanding but in all my trials of a spiritual nature as a lawyer in conditioning institutions and in politics i can say that god saved me when every hope is gone and helpers fail and comforts flee i find that help arrives somehow from i know not where supplication worship prayer are no superstition they are acts more real than the acts of eating drinking sitting or walking it is no exaggeration to say that they alone are real all everything else or all else is unreal such worship or prayer is no flight of eloquence it is no lip homage homage it springs from the hearts if therefore we achieve that purity of the heart when it is emptied of all but love if we keep all the chords in perfect and proper tune they trem they trembling pass in music out of sight prayer needs no speech it is in itself independent of all any sensuous effort i have not the slightest doubt that prayer is an unfailing means of cleansing of the heart of passions but it must be combined with the utmost humility just about this time narayan hemchandra came to england 
I had I had heard of him as a writer. We met at the house of Miss Manning of the National Indian Association. Miss Manning knew that I could not make myself sociable. When I went to her place, I used to sit tongue-tied, never speaking except when spoken to. She introduced me to Narayan Hemchandra. He did not know English. His dress was queer, a clumsy pair of trousers, a wrinkled, dry brown coat after the Parsi fashion, no necktie or collar, a tasseled woolen cap. He grew a long beard. He was lightly built and short of stature. His round face was scarred with smallpox and had a nose which was neither pointed nor blunt. With his hand, he was constantly turning over his beard. Such a queer-looking and queerly dressed man was bound to be singled out in fashionable society. I have heard a great deal about you, I said to him. I also read some of your writings. I should be very pleased if you were kind enough to come to my place. I have heard Narayan Hemchandra had a rather hoarse voice. With a smile on his face, he replied, Yes, where do you stay? In Store Street. I stay in Store Street. Then we are neighbors. I want to learn English. Will you teach me? I shall be I shall be happy to teach you anything I can and will try my best. If you like, I will go to uh, your place. Oh no, I shall come to you. I shall also bring with me a translation exercise book. So we made an appointment. Soon we were close friends. Narayan Hemchandra was innocent of grammar. Horse was a verb with him and run a noun. I remembered many such funny instances, but he would not to be he was not to be baffled by his ignorance. My little knowledge of grammar could make no impression on him. Certainly he never regarded his ignorance of grammar as a matter of shame. With perfect nonchalance, he said, I have never been to school like you. I have never felt the need of glamour in expressing my thoughts. Well, do you know Bengali? I knew it. I have travelled in Bengal. It is I who have given Maharishi Devendranath Tagore's work to the Gujarati-speaking world. And I wish to translate into Gujarati the treasures of many other languages. And if you know, I am never literal in my translation. I always content myself with bringing out the spirit. Others with a better knowledge may be able to do more in future. But I am quite satisfied with what I have achieved without the help of grammar. I know Marathi, Hindi, Bengali and now I have begun to know English. What I want 
is a copious vocabulary and do you think my ambition ends here no fear i want to go to france and learn french i am told that language has an extensive literature i shall go to germany also if possible and then learn german and thus he would talk on unceasingly he had a boundless ambition for learning languages and for foreign travel then will you then you will go to america also certainly how can i return to india without having seen the new world but where will you find the money what do i need money for i am not a fashionable fellow like you the minimum amount of food and minimum amount of clothing is suffice for me and for this what little i get out of my books and from my friends is enough i have traveled i always travel first class while going to america also i shall travel on deck narayan hemchandra's simplicity was his own and his frankness was on par with it of pride he had not the slightest trace ex excepting of course a rather undue regard for his own capacity as a writer we made daily there was a considerable amount of similarity between our thoughts and our actions both of us were vegetarians we would often have our lunch together there this was the first this was a time when i lived on 17th a week 17th a week and cooked for myself sometimes i would go to his room and sometimes he would come to mine i cooked in the english style nothing but indian style would satisfy him he could not do without dal i would make soup of carrots etc he would and he would pity me for my taste once he somehow hunted out mung and cooked it and brought it to my plate i ate it with delight this led to a regular system exchange between us i would take my delicacies to him and he would bring his to my, me Car- cardinal manning's name was there on every lip the dock labor strike had come to an early termination owing to the efforts of john burns and cardinal manning i told narayan hemchandra of disraeli's tribute to the cardinal's simplicity then i must see the sage said he he is a big man how do you expect to meet him why i i know how i must get you to write him my name in my name write him in my name tell him i am an author and that i want to congratulate him personally on his humanitarian work and also say that i ha- i shall have to take you as an interpreter so as i do not know english i wrote a let- letter to that effect in two or three days came cardinal manning's card in reply giving us an appointment so we both called on the cardinal i put on the usual visiting suit narayan hemchandra 
wore the was the same as ever in the same coat and the same trousers. I tried to make fun of this, but he laughed me out and said, "You civilized fellows are like cowards. Great men never look at a person's exterior; they think of his heart." We entered the cardinal's mansion. As soon as we were seated, a thin, tall, old gentleman made his appearance and shook hands with us. Narayan Hemchandra thus gave him his greetings. I don't want to take up your time. I ha- I had heard a lot about you and felt I should, and I felt I should come and thank you for the good work you have done for the strikers. It has. been my custom to visit the sages of the world and that is why i have put you in this trouble this was of course my translation of what he spoke in gujarati i am glad he has come i hope your your stay in london will agree with you and that you will get in touch with people here god bless you with these words the cardinal stood up and said goodbye once Narayan Hemchandra came to my place in a shirt and dhoti. The good landlady opened the door and came running to me in fright. This was a new landlady who did not know Narayan Hemchandra and said, "A sort of madcap wants to see you." I went to the door and to my surprise found Narayan Hemchandra. I was shocked. His face however showed no n- nothing but his usual smile but but did not the children of the streets rag you well they ran well they ran after me but i did not mind them and they were quiet ran him chandra went to paris in a few months stay in london he began studying french and also translating french books i knew enough french to revise his translation so he gave it he gave it to me to read it was not a translation it was of the substance finally he carried out his determination to visit america it was his great difficulty great difficulty that he succeeded in securing a debt debt ticket while in us in the united states he prosecuted for he was prosecuted for being indecently dressed as He went out in a shirt and dhoti. I have a recollection that he was discharged. There was a great exhibition in at Paris in 1890. I had read about its elaborate preparations and I also had a keen desire to visit Paris. So I thought I had better combine two things in one and go there at this juncture. A particular attraction of the exhibition was the Eiffel Tower, constructed entirely of iron and nearly thousand feet high. There was, of course, many other things of interest, but the tower was the chief one. In as much as it had been supposed till then that a structure of that height could not be could not safely stand i had heard of a vegetarian restaurant in paris i engaged a room there and stayed 7 days i managed 
everything very economically, both the journey to Paris and the sightseeing there. This I did mostly on foot and with the help of a map of Paris, as also a map and guide to the exhibition. These were enough to direct one to the main streets and the chief places of interest. I remember nothing of the exhibition ex- excepting the ma- magnitude and variety. I have fair recollections of the Eiffel Tower as I ascended it twice or thrice. There was a restaurant on the first platform and just for the satisfaction of being able to say that I had my lunch at great height, I threw away seven shillings on it. The ancient churches of Paris are still in my memory. Their, their grandeur their, their grandeur, and peacefulness are unforgettable. The wonderful construction of the, of the Notre Dame and the elaborate decoration of the interior with its beautiful scriptures cannot be forgotten. I felt then that, that those who expanded millions on such divine cathedrals could not but have the love of God in their hearts. I had read a lot about the fashion and frivolity of Paris. There were in evidence in every street but the churches stood noticeably apart from these scenes. A man would forget the outside noise and bustle as soon as he entered one of these churches. His manner would change and he would behave with dignity and reverence as he passed someone kneeling before the image of the Virgin. The feeling I had then since being growing on me that all this kneeling and prayer could not be mere superstition. The the devour souls kneeling before the Virgin could not be worshipping mere marble. They were fired with genuine devotion and they worshipped not stone but the, but the divinity of which it was symbolic. I have an impression that I felt then that by this worship they were not detracting them but they were increasing, they were increasing the glory of God. I must say a word about the Eiffel Tower. I do not know what purpose it serves today, but I heard it greatly disparaged. It is greatly disparaged as well as praised. I remember that Tolstoy was the chief among those who disparaged it. He said that Eiffel Tower was a monument of man's folly, not of his wisdom. Tobacco, he argued, was the worst of all intoxicants in as much a drunkard never dared to do. Liquor made a man mad, but tobacco crowded his intelligence and made him build castles in the air. The Eiffel Tower was one of the creations of a man under such influence. There is no art about the Eiffel Tower. In no way can it be said to have contributed to the real beauty of the exhibition. Men flocked to see it and ascended it as it was a novelty and of unique dimensions. It was a toy of the exhibition. 
so long we are children and we are attracted by toys and the tower was a good demonstration of the fact that we are children attracted by trinkets this may be claimed to be the purpose served by the eiffel tower Whew.